Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I am dying. I'm dying, and that's good news. Because the more that I die, the more I am becoming really alive. Now, you may say, that's a contradiction. That sounds kind of like nonsense. But it's actually a paradox of the gospel. It's a paradox that the Word of God reveals to us. You see, the real world, the real truth that God reveals to us contains many paradoxes, things that we, we know are true, but we can't really square or understand how they connect in our minds. For instance, the Lord Jesus is 100% God, and he is also 100% man. It appears to be a, a contradiction. It, it's not possible for us to, to understand with our minds how that works, but the Bible teaches it, and so we believe it. The Bible teaches that God is 100% sovereign in salvation. The Bible also teaches that man is 100% responsible to hate sin and to serve God. It's hard to see how these two things square, how how they meet, how they connect. But the Bible teaches it, and so we believe it. And in the same way, the Bible teaches us this seeming paradox that to live, we must die. Turn in your Bible for a moment to Mark chapter 8, verse 35. The Lord says it here, and he says it in many other places in the Gospels as well. Mark 8, verse 35, where he talks about people that, that want to save their life. Mark eight thirty-five, he says, For whoever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, will save it. Now this process of gaining your life by losing it, the Bible calls conversion. And without true conversion, no one can be saved. So the question is, how can we experience true Conversion, the Bible teaches us, it's only in Christ. When I believe in Christ, a profound change happens. I die with Christ, says the scripture, and with Christ I am raised to a new life. I die with Christ, and with Christ I'm raised to a new life. And the Bible calls us, God calls us, to a life of true conversion in Christ. There are two aspects, and we confess that because the Bible teaches that, there are two aspects to a life of true conversion. Number one, there is the dying of the old nature, and number two, there is the coming to life of the new. We'll consider those two things in turn. So a life of true conversion that God calls us to involves the dying of the old nature. Now, the moment that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become part of him. We participate fully in his death and his resurrection. What does Paul say to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 19? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's a massive change which occurs at the moments of faith, repentance, and faith. Our identity changes. 
And our identity is now found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your Bible for a moment to Romans 6 for 6. We'll be looking at a few verses as we go through the sermons. We'll have to be a little bit quick in looking at the text. Romans 6 for 6, where the apostle says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And that's what baptism signifies. It's a sign from God that, that we participate in the death of Christ. And then go flipping a little further in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. Look at Colossians 2 verse 12. And here the apostle speaks about us, 2 verse 12 of Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There's an identification between the justified sinner and the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to him happened to us. We participate in his death and resurrection. Look at uh, verse 20 of the same chapter, Colossians 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, etc.? So you died with Christ, says the apostle. And then look in verse 3 of chapter 3, which we read before the sermon. Colossians 3, verse 3. What does Paul say to the believers? He says, for you have died. Well, the people that were reading this letter were still breathing. What do you mean they've died? Well, they've died in Christ, with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Baptism into Christ, baptism into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that we participate in his death and resurrection. So let's sum this up then. What does the Bible teach? It teaches this, that the minute, the moment that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are united to him by faith, the gift of God, we participate in his death and his resurrection, and the old nature was crucified with him on the cross, and we were raised with him to a new life. That is the message of glorious, sovereign grace. That's the gospel. Now, it's easy to think in the light of what the scripture teaches. It's easy to think this. Well, I, I believe in Jesus. I died with him on the cross. I am a new creation in him, and so I'm a true believer, and therefore I no longer will sin. And there are some Christians that actually teach that, that they teach perfectionism, that it is possible in this life to live without sin because of our identity in Christ. Well, we shouldn't close our Bible too quickly. We need to pay attention for instance, to chapter 3 of Colossians that we, we read before the sermon began. Paul, in chapter 3 and in chapter 2 of Colossians, certainly teaches that we have died with Christ. Now look at 3 verse 1 here, Colossians 3, 1. What does he say? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to believers. If then you have been raised with Christ, he's talking to people that have being buried with Christ in baptism, have been raised with Christ to a new life. And he's speaking to these believers and says, if you have been raised with Christ, and look at verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, so he's speaking to believers, 
believers that are alive in Christ. And what does he say to these believers? Well, you're going to appear with Christ in glory. So who is Paul speaking to? He's speaking to people that are in Christ, people that have been crucified with Christ, people that have been raised with Christ, people that will appear in glory with Christ. He's speaking to true believers. And then what does he say? Look at verse 5. What does he say to these true believers? What does he say to these people who are in Christ? He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Well, how does that work? I thought that our old nature was crucified with Christ. So why do we still have to put to death what is earthly in us? Well, this is what Paul is saying in chapter 3, verse 5 and following. He's calling believers to apply and embrace in their life the realities of the salvation that they have in Christ. He recognizes that there's a profound change called true conversion, but that conversion doesn't begin and end by simply raising your hand or going to the front of the church to accept Jesus. True conversion certainly has a beginning, but it is also a process. It also involves a way of life. And how can we think about this? Well, we can think about the analogy of walking in a way. The Bible often uses that analogy. Walking in the way of sin and death and trespasses. And that way leads, we know, to eternal death and destruction. <clears throat> so we're walking that way as sinners. <clears throat> and then suddenly, by the grace of God, we receive the gift of, of true faith. And for the first time, we, we see the danger, the great danger that lies before us. We are going to our death. And then by God's grace, a massive change occurs in our life. God converts us. God turns us around. And we turn our backs on the destruction, on death, on the way of sin. And now we have a new destination. We have life eternal with God in front of us. That's a radical change. We've been translated from death to life. By faith in Christ, we have died to sin. By faith in Christ, we have been raised up to a new life. And all of this is real and true when God turns us around, when he grants repentance and faith. We have a new destination, and that destination is glory. But does that mean that we are immediately at our new destination? Does that mean that the minute we turn our backs on sin, we immediately arrive at the celestial city in heaven in all perfection and holiness? No. We're still in the way. We're facing in the right direction now. We've got the right destination. And now the reality of our new life in Christ has to be applied in us, to us, and by us. We've got to start walking. And step by step, we move along. Each step, we move away from the sins in which we used to walk. We turn our backs on them. We walk away from them. We leave them behind. And each step... We step and walk in the direction of perfect obedience and holiness that God requires. Now, the Bible teaches that this is not easy, and I think we all know that. 
by experience. This is not easy. Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he speaks about dying with Christ in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, he agonizes over how hard it is to live a life of holiness. He says, I do what I don't want to do. And what I want to do, I'm not able to do. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a man filled with the Spirit of God. This is a man that can touch someone and raise them from the dead. This is a man through whom the Holy Spirit speaks the very words of God. And this great saint struggled in his walk of sanctification. That's definitely a comfort for us. It's not easy. It's not automatic. So the Bible has many exhortations. The Bible calls us to fight, fight against sin, to strive for holiness, to work, to show in our lives the reality of our conversion in Christ. Now, we've got to remember that certainly sanctification, just like justification, is the work of God. It's all sovereign grace. It's not like God justifies and he says, well, here, you do the rest. You do the sanctification. That's not how it works. It's all God's work. It's all God's sovereign grace. But God commands us to be involved in and active in our sanctification. He gives us work to do. And we can see that in Colossians chapter 3. Look at the imperatives. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Impurity, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul saying, listen, you're a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity. So be who you are. Embrace who God has made you to be. Celebrate your new identity in Christ. Your identity is not your sin. Your identity is no longer a slave to sin. Your identity is one who is free and saved and justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So live that reality. Live it out. So how do we know if we're converted? How do we know if we're in Christ? How do we know if we're a new, a new creation? Is it that we live a sinless life, a, a perfectly holy life? Is that the proof that we're children of God? Well, no, not at all. Open your, your Bible for a moment to John, 1 John, the, the letter of John, 1 John 1 verse 8. 1 John 1 verse 8. And see what the apostle says. He's speaking to believers and he's speaking to the church, 1 John 1 verse 8, and he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The teaching of perfectionism is a, a false teaching. It's not true that someone on this earth can be sinless besides the Lord Jesus Christ. If we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves, the truth is not in us. It gets worse, though. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that's not, that's not a truth of the scripture, that, that living in Christ is to be free from any sin. Simply not true. So what is the mark of a true believer? Well, open your 
sound book with me for a moment to the Belgic Confession and turn to the 29th article in that confession. Now, the articles 27, 28, 29 are famous for talking about the true and the false church, very important teaching. But at the end of Article 29, there's this really important bit which speaks about true Christians. So on page 511 in your book of praise, you're on, on the very last or second last paragraph of that page, you see the part that speaks about Christians. And let's just read that together for a moment. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior, flee from sin and pursue righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left, and crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. That's what we confess from the teaching of Scripture. The Christian life is a life of battle. It is a life of striving. It is a life of crucifying the old nature and its works, the flesh and its works. Now, do you recognize yourself in that description? Now, we spent a lot of time, we have in the past as Canadian Reformed people, spent a lot of time talking about the marks of the church and who's the true church and who's not the true church. Have we spent enough time thinking about true Christians and the marks of a true Christian and whether we recognize the marks of a true Christian in ourselves? You see, God calls us to a life which turns its back on sin. He calls us to a life which hates sin, which runs away from sin more and more. You see that in the Catechism, those words, more and more. It's a process which grows and grows and grows. Things that we used to think were fun, things that we used to enjoy, things that we used to consider innocent peccadillos. All of a sudden, we discover that more and more they're, they're bothering us. We don't like them. We hate them. We see the Spirit working us in us more and more a love for, for holiness, a love for the will of God, more and more hate for sin and love for God. And we, we delight in finding out that the more we die to ourselves, the more we die to our wants and to our will and to our lusts and to our passions, the more we are really alive in Jesus Christ. That's a delightful process when we see the Spirit working these changes in us. And part of the reason why the, the elders visit us every year is not just to have a cup of coffee and a social call, but as your pastors, as your shepherds, the under-shepherds that Christ has set over the church, they want to see if you're making progress in the Christian faith. They want to see if you're moving from where you used to be to where you're supposed to be. They want to see if you're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in a life of true conversion. This process 
is not just external. It doesn't just deal with outward works. Being truly converted doesn't just mean that there's a checklist of public and gross sins that I no longer do, at least not when people are looking. But true conversion has to do with the attitudes and the thoughts of the heart, the way we think, the way we speak, our passions, our desires, they are changed by the glorious and powerful transforming work of the Holy Spirit of God. Before, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lies would just flow so easily out of us. Because that's who we were. But now, now we're horrified by them. And we repudiate these works of the flesh. And we long. We long for holiness. We long to be more like the Lord Jesus. That's the difference between the ungodly and the converted. You know, everybody's sinners. There's only one human being that's not a sinner. Only one. His name is Jesus. So all of us here in the church are sinners, and all the people that that are not in Christ, they're sinners too. That's not the difference. The difference is not that that they're the sinners and we're not. That's not the difference. The difference is that we are justified sinners. And then the difference too is that the unregenerate, the ungodly, loves his sin, delights in it, holds onto it, embraces it, lives for it. But the converted feels profound grief for sin profound grief you know it's not just remorse there's a difference between godly grief for sin and remorse remorse is when you don't like the consequences when you did something wrong and sinful and then it hurts because you have to pay the bill now when you were unfaithful to your husband or to your wife and then your marriage breaks up you say i don't like this i'm upset that's remorse when you robbed a bank and then all of a sudden you were caught by the police and you put in jail, you say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that because I don't like being in jail. That's remorse. But the confession speaks about the biblical concept of godly grief. Godly grief for sin is not that we don't like the consequences which sin has brought us because sometimes we've sinned and we haven't yet tasted the consequences. But godly grief is to say with the psalmist in Psalm 51, You know, David had just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had murdered her husband. And then what does he say? Against you and against you only have I sinned. He's not diminishing his sin against his fellow human beings. But he's putting things in perspective. His sin has been committed against the most high majesty of God. And that's the first and most profound thing that needs to be dealt with. That's... What godly grief for sin looks like. It hates sin because sin takes away from the glory of God. That godly, healthy grief for sin and sorrow for sin always drives us to Christ. Drives us to the cross to find forgiveness and renewal. Because that's why we hate sin so much. Sin is anything which puts up a barrier between us and fellowship with God. 
Oh, it's a lot of fighting. It's a lot of battling. It's a lot of grief. Is that the Christian life? We just sit there weeping all the time? Well, well, no. True repentance is the dying of the old nature. It's also the coming to life of the new. There, there's, there's also the other side of the coin. It's a lot more positive. God turns us around. We, we turn our backs on sin. We walk away from sin. We leave sin behind. But each step, each step away from sin is a step in the way of obedience and of faith and gratitude. Each step is a step closer to perfect fellowship with God. And that's what the Catechism calls, in question answer 88, that's what the Catechism calls the coming to life of the new nature. And notice that these, how these, these verbs are put. It's the dying, it is the coming to life. These are processes. Our old nature doesn't die in a moment. And so our new nature doesn't spring into being fully formed and fully mature and fully perfect. Look what Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 9. He says this, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. It is being renewed. Paul says, listen, you got to take off your old nature like you take off dirty clothes. you got to put on the new clothes of your new nature, but that new nature is something that is a work in progress. It is being renewed. Do you see that in your life? Do you see that you are being renewed? Do you notice that you have more and more joy in God through Christ? Do you notice that more and more worldly and fleshly things lose their shine? They just don't interest you anymore. You know, we used to delight in, we used to love sin, but now we delight in and we love God and we love God's will and we love God's way and we love God's commands. You see, those two things are mutually exclusive. Exclusive. You can't love sin and love God at the same time. It doesn't work. If we keep looking back like Lot's wife, if we, if we kind of externally walk in the way of sanctification, but in our hearts we kind of miss our sin, we kind of miss the fun of sin, we kind of want to hold on to our favorite sins, well, then there is no hope of progressing in sanctification. So we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, what are we filling our eyes with? What are we filling our minds with? There's this fake gospel of consumerism, this fake gospel of self-actualization, self-realization, this false gospel of you deserve it, you need it, indulge yourself, it feels good, do it. You only live once. And if that gospel has a grip, that fake gospel has a grip on our hearts, then it is impossible to have heartfelt joy in the things of God. You know, brothers and sisters, when it comes to sanctification, it is not a case of you can fake it till you make it. The question we have to ask ourselves is have we been turned around? If you don't see in your life a love for holiness, if you see in your life that you really enjoy sin and that you don't want to flee from it, then just maybe you need to ask the Spirit of God 
to begin you on the way of conversion, first repentance, and faith. You may say, you may say well, Pastor, I'm a member of the church. I'm a member of the covenant. I'm baptized. What are you talking about first conversion to me for? That's for people that don't know Jesus. Or read the baptism form. Our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to all manner of misery, even condemnation itself, unless they are born again. You can be in the church your whole life. You can have your member, you, you can have your name written on the membership roll a hundred times over, but that's not good enough. You need to be by true faith in and united to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is important? What do we value? When we're in Christ, instead of valuing sin, we value good works. Now, true conversion is not just external holiness because we stop doing a list of public sins. The new life looks for something. It changes our very insides, our souls, and it, it, it overflows from us into a life of gratitude defined by the law and the will of God. That's important. You see that in question answer 91. Good works are those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God to his glory, not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of men. It's very important. We don't glorify God when we think that Christianity is following a pharisaical list of rules that we have made, that our parents have made, that the church council has made, that the federation has made, or that anybody has made. That's not Christianity. That's fake holiness. That's easy, but it has no power. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15 for a moment. See what the Lord Jesus says about that. Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. The Lord Jesus he absolutely destroys that concept of fake legalistic holiness based on the rules of people. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, he says this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's not the way it works. You know, we want the easy way. That's, that's how we're built. We, we, we like the easy way. It would be so nice if the Bible was like an encyclopedia, and was, how do I bring up my... How do I deal with my 16-year-old, my 18-year-old? Okay, 18-year-olds, page such and such. Checklist, do these things, and I'm serving God. That's not how it works. There are no checklists. Sometimes we come to church that way. We want the pastor to, from the pulpit, say, do this, do this, do this, then you're a good Christian. That's not how it works. That's fake holiness. It has no power. It can't transform. God calls us to a life of true conversion. And true conversion is not possible by the laws and the precepts of men. True conversion is only possible when by the power of the Spirit of God, I walk according to the law of God. I submit to His holy law and His holy will. Now, some Christians, and perhaps some of you here, get a little bit alarmed when we talk about living according to the law. They say, whoa, wait a minute. 
you know, I thought that the law was before, but now we're under grace. The law condemns, but in grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So what are you talking about the law for? You're dragging us back to the Old Testament? Well, brothers and sisters, we've got to keep things in the right places here. It is true that when it comes to justification, the law is absolutely useless. The law cannot relieve us from our guilt. The the law cannot wash us clean from our sins. The law can only condemn us. And if we want to be justified, there is only one hope for us. It's pure, sovereign grace. It's the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we are and by whom we are justified. So when it comes to justification, we throw the law out and we look only at Christ. But after we're converted, after we have this new identity that we're not, our identity is not our sin, our identity is Jesus, then all of a sudden our relationship with the law changes. The law looks totally different to the believer than it does to the unregenerate. And to understand this, let's think of a highway. If you're driving along the highway on the wrong side of the road, I hope nobody's done this, but sometimes when you look behind you on the right side of the road, you you can see what's on the back side of the the signs. On the wrong side, if you're going the wrong way, you will see signs saying, stop, no entry, wrong way. But when you're driving in the right way, you don't see that. And that's how the law is. When we were walking in our own passions and lusts of our old nature, we were going the wrong way. We were going towards death and destruction. And all we saw on every sign was the law saying, stop, you're going to die. This is not the right way. You are living against the holy will of God and it will destroy you. Stop. Wrong way. But what happens if God turns us around? Well, suddenly we look at the right side of the signs. And what used to tell us to stop wrong way now says to us, hey, you're on the right track. This is the way. Walk in it. Keep going. This is the way to life. And only the regenerate can see the law in that way. Only the regenerate can say with David, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Because when God, by the power of his spirit, turns us around, we see the law not as a judge that condemns us, but as a friend which takes us by the hand and shows us the way of life and holiness, the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Every spirit-empowered step that we take in the life of holiness and sanctification, we see how precious and useful the law of God is as our guide. So what is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old and the coming to life of the new nature. Now in the coming weeks as we continue through the catechism, we're going to learn from the catechism how the law of God helps us to recognize and hate our sins and to grow in the life of joy and gratitude and holiness. We're going to learn that 
perfect law of liberty, as James calls it. That perfect law of liberty gives us orientation in all aspects of life, in our thoughts, in our worship, in our attitudes, in our words, in, in our acts, in our marriages, in how we use our time, in bringing up children, in obedience to authority, in faithfulness finances, in how we deal with the truth, in how we do our work, in how we treat other people and other people's property. The law always points us to the right way in life. And so it's our friend, and it's a blessing. So, brother and sister, let's, like our brother David, delight in the law of God as the finest gold. We sang about that. As the sweetest honey. And as the Spirit of God continues to, to work in us, not just a delight for the law, but also as he guides us in walking in the way of obedience more and more, let us rejoice in his work in us. Let's keep pleading with him. Holy Spirit, help us to be killing sin so that sin won't be killing us. Let's keep asking him, oh Holy Spirit, help me to put to death the old nature. Help me to, to put to death all that is earthly. And oh Holy Spirit, work in me transform me from glory to glory after the image of my beloved Savior. It is a process. It is a way. But, brother and sister, it has an end. The day will come when we get to the end of this road. The day will come when the battle is over. The day will come when we enter into the blessed presence of the Lord Jesus then the old nature will be no more. Then we will finally be free from this body of death. Then we will be perfectly holy and blameless and innocent forever. And then we can spend all of our time and energy free to worship him in eternal perfection. Amen.